Good morning. My name is Stephen. It's uh, my pleasure to be here. I'm uh, in my second month as a pastoral fellow, and uh, it's my pleasure just to, to join here in this community. Uh, I've, I've had a few people ask me, what exactly is a pastoral fellow? What do you guys do? And um, it's, it's a program that the church offers. It's a two-year fellowship, kind of like a residency, where we, uh, people like myself, recent grads, get the opportunity to come and learn and be, be kind of trained and equipped and raised up in what it looks like to, to pastor uh, for the, for the long haul, faster uh, for the future. And so it's a, a really, uh, it's a really neat, intentional way that I'm grateful for uh, the space to come and learn and to, 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 to be uh, amongst you, this uh, intentional community. And um, I'm actually the 20, I don't know if you guys know this, the 23rd pastoral fe- uh, fellow. Um, the church has been doing this for the last 10 years. And so the vast majority of people that have come in to be trained and have been sent out from here. It's a really uh, a great way that this, this church body seeks to multiply itself, send itself out uh, from here. And so, um, again, it's my pleasure just to be here. And uh, my, both me and my wife, Kaylee, are just really grateful just to, to come and just learn what does it look like to, to do life together in, in, uh, as a pastor. And so uh, we, we say thanks. And uh, I've also been asked what do pastors do? Um, like what? Like just like do y'all do anything? Um, and so um, the answer is no. That's why I chose to do this. Um, we just kind of like eat food, um, get coffee with people. You know, that's not true. Uh, no. Um, yeah, it's a it's a privilege to be here. And so uh, I don't know if you guys know this. I'm not uh, a father yet. We don't have any kids, but I do have a three year old niece. Uh, her name's Kate, and Kate is awesome. Uh, mostly because, well, not mostly. She's just awesome because she is. Uh, but I, what I love about her is that she loves princesses. I come from a family of all boys. My dad was all boys. His dad was all boys. And so we were expecting a boy with the first grandchild. And we got Kate, who loves princesses. I mean, we just, like, in many, very many ways, we have no idea what to do with her. Um, just like, what, like, we know, like, what it is to, like, wrestle. Uh, and she likes to wrestle. But, like, she... she has princess gowns for everything, you know? Like when we go to the park, she's like, I'm gonna put my bell on so that we can go play at the park. And then we were like, we're going to the store. She's like, well, that's Cinderella. So I'm gonna go get Cinderella on. And uh, we were, Kate, last year I was home uh, and we were playing and it was time to go swimming and, or like kind of play with this little kiddie pool. It's time to go play in the pool and that called for uh, Elsa. So she puts on Elsa, and that's Elsa from Frozen. Uh, she puts on Elsa, and we, we go in the backyard, and I got my bathing suit on, right, because that's what you do. But for Kate, the bathing suit equals Elsa. And so she puts Elsa on. That's how she refers to it. And, and we are in the backyard, like, playing a, and just, like, having a good time, right? Just a three-year-old being a three-year-old. And me, I, me being kind of, uh, let's, like, set the mood and set the scene, I went ahead and, like, brought out some speakers and set up, uh, set up some, um, yeah, just... Uh, some music. And so in the background of this moment of us kind of playing and dancing, I put on like Elsa's theme song because it just seemed, you know, she's wearing Elsa. And so uh, do you all know that song, Let It Go? You guys guys know it? I'm pretty sure most everybody knows that song uh, because it's just so catchy, right? And so we're there playing, jumping, and and, um, she's like, she can't talk in full sentences, but somehow she's memorized like every word of this whole thing. Like she's three years old and she's like talking in like little, but somehow she's not only memorized the words, but she like has a choreography that goes with it. So she's just going, I'm just trying to keep up with her. And have you ever just stopped to listen to what the words are? Like in, in the song, like you, you kind of just hear them, they just kind of get, get in there and you just kind of sing them, but then like you just like stop and pause. And so I'm playing with Kate and this three-year-old is, uh, she, listen to what she says. She says, 
And she's singing this. She says, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go, let it go, right? And so she's just like, and I'm looking at my Kate and I'm like, what's wrong? Like, what, what has you down, Kate? Like, that, that you feel the need to sing this like, anthem of like personal and total autonomy and freedom. I have no rights, no wrongs, no rules for me, right? Like, why is this two-year, three-year-old singing this song? And it just struck me. I was just wondering, like, is this really what freedom is? Is freedom, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free, and that's not what freedom is, is it? Is, is freedom this total, absolute autonomy? Sometimes we think that, right? It's just part of what we breathe as Americans, this total, absolute freedom. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. But today, we're going to look at what real freedom looks like, and I believe that it's God's, uh, God's freedom uh, includes boundaries. God's freedom includes boundaries. You see, when we... Uh, enter into a relationship, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself, but when we, we, we enter into a relationship with him, that includes those boundaries, and that makes sense, right? That makes sense, and so we're in this sermon series, Deliver Us, Deliver Us Through Stone, and so we've, we're, we're in Exodus 19 and 20, and so these past five weeks, we've seen how God has, has brought the people out of slavery. It was three months ago, and they, he brought them through the wilderness, and now they've come to the Sinai, and they see Mount Sinai, and they're following this cloud, and they're going on their path, and they see that Moses is bringing them back to the place where God first sent him. This is the same place that God met Moses in the burning bush, where God told him, you're going to go, you're going to get them, you're going to come back, and you're going to worship me. So they're returning. They probably may even have heard that story. And they're, so they're heading back to the place where God began this movement with Moses. And so Moses climbs up that, that familiar path, and he meets with God up in the cloud, and you're waiting at this, the foot of the mountain. And Moses isn't there for very long. He comes back down. He goes, a word from the Lord. And, and, and read, what, uh, read along with me. It says, you yourselves, this is what the Lord says. And Moses is speaking. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I brought you on the eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And with these words, God extends an invitation. See, God extends, did you guys say he's extending them an invitation in this moment? That, that the first time that they would talk and interact at the mount, he, he, didn't, uh, he didn't begin with commands. Rather, he, he called to mind all the things that he's been doing, right? And, and if, if, if you know the story, I don't know if you, where you've been this summer, if you've been in and out, but the story of the Israelites is that, is that they were stuck in slavery, facing a situation that they couldn't get out of themselves. They were stuck beyond a shadow of a doubt, just in total despair, and they cry out to the Lord, and the Lord does something that only he can do. He, he brings them out of slavery in such a way that none of them have to raise a sword for freedom. Instead, with his hands and his might and his, his arm, he brings the people out. And they, they find themselves in another situation where their backs are up against the wall, and there's, there's only water behind them, and an enemy is, 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 is coming to destroy them. And the Lord intervenes, protects them, and delivers them out of that moment. And then they, they head out to the, to the wilderness, and even there, where they have no food or water, the Lord provides for them, right? And all the while, he's leading and guiding them. And beyond a shadow of a doubt, all of this points to only one person could bring this about. Only one person is the Lord. The Lord is the one who has done these things. He is the one who has accomplished them. And so it's from, from this place 
that he gives this declaration, this invitation. He says, I brought you to myself. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagle's wing and brought you to myself. He's saying, I love you. He says, he says I created everything, all of the world, all of it, and I long for its good, and I have brought you out here to meet with me, to be my people. And the, the Israelites are dumbfounded. I, I can't help but think that they're dumbfounded. They, they've lived their entire lives in slavery. And what's it like that not only you have experienced slavery, but your parents have experienced and been slaves, and then your grandparents have been slaves. That's just all that they know. And then in this moment, the God of the universe, the one who created everything, looks at you and says, I love you. You're free. Be, but, but come be free with me. I mean, totally different experience. Totally. And so there's something just beautiful about God, this loving father looking at his child and saying, I love you. You're mine. You belong to me. And so in this moment, he's, he's offering an invitation. He's inviting them into a relationship with him. And the king of the universe says, I'll teach you what it's like to be treasured instead of enslaved by a king. And, and then Israel, the people reflecting on all that God has done for them, right? Their hearts are kindled. Their loving expression of gratitude, of gratefulness is, yes, we will obey all that you have said. Exodus 19.8, uh, 19, that's what they say. He says, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And so I wonder, do you, do you know that God still longs for you to be part of his treasured possession? Do you believe that? Do, do you hear his words? Yeah, I, I hear it, but, 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 but no, that, just stop. Like, no, don't, don't, don't listen to the lies that you've heard your entire life, lies of gossip or or what your boss has, has attacked you with, or, or just kind of the, the self-talk that says that you're meaningless or work, worthless. In this moment, God looks at a people who he loves, and he says that you're treasured, accepted, and loved, and, and that is because he looks at them, and he, he pronounces that. See, God makes us adequate in this moment. He looks at his people, and he looks at us, and our significance comes from him. And so God looks at them, and, and they maybe don't necessarily come to grips or really know that they believe what God has said. And, and I think maybe part of this is because they don't really know who he is yet. I mean, they've seen him, right? They've seen him do powerful and mighty things. He's brought about their deliverance, but they don't really know him. I mean, where, where are we in the story, right? We're this far into knowing who God is. This is as much as he's revealed himself, right? So we can look back in this, from this position and we say we know who God is because he's revealed himself, but we have the fullness, right? The Israelites are in this moment. They're heading out to, the, to, to the, uh, Mount Sinai, and he's still yet to speak, right? So he opens up with this invitation, and then he's the one um, who reveals himself, right? And so there's this, this, this moment where Moses goes back up to the, to the top of the mountain, and he meets with God, and he's, the Lord sends him back down, and, and uh, he, he speaks to Moses, uh, told the words of the people, um, Excuse me. When Moses told that, um, the Lord said to Moses, there it is. Those are my words. Um, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their garments. Be ready for the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come to Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You see, they, they've arrived, and this is just the first couple days that they're, that they're with the Lord. And in this moment, Moses goes back up. They, he says, we, we, we uh, accept 
your invitation, right? We, we want to be in relationship with you. So they go back up, he reports that, and the Lord says, okay, I'm coming in three days, right? He says, um, so consecrate yourself, so set yourself apart, right? And then this is, you ever come across parts of scripture that just kind of like make you stop and kind of like, wait, what? And, because we're about to get to one. L- listen to this. This just makes, this like hits me the wrong way, especially at first time. It says, and you shall, this is what the Lord says, and you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, take care not to go up into, into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch it, but he shall be stoned or shot with arrows, uh, whether beast or man, and he shall not live. Isn't that kind of weird? Doesn't it sound like you hear the, these characters of like the Old Testament angry God, right, who just like, He's just kind of angry. He just wants to kill everybody. Like, he just kind of shows up and he's like, I'm going to, right? I mean, I, 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 sometimes I, I get that mindset. But, but in this moment, he's not actually giving them a threat of death. He, death. He's not come to kill, right? He's actually telling them how they are to live. He says, don't come here in order that you might live, right? Because, because as, as we know in... in from, from what's been revealed thus far, Adam and Eve sinned. They, 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 they turned from the Lord who made everything, who set them in a place to be his people. And they, they look at the God who made everything and they sin. And in this, in this sin, in this act of treason, the outright rebellion, they spur God. They say, my will, not yours. And then the Lord takes them out of Eden, sends them out. And instead of in that moment ex- executing justice or punishment, for their sin of rebellion, God sends them out. And it's, it's, a, it's a little glimmer of, of, of mercy that we see. But in this moment, there, there's a separation. There's a, there's a schism between the people of, uh, like us and God. And that tension is still with us, right? And so God is coming down and he says, I'm going to show up. I'm going to be present among you, but don't come on this mountain because we still have this divide between us. There's still a divide between us. And so God is the one who establishes the boundaries. He's saying, this is how you're going to come to me. I will set the boundaries for you. You're going to come to me on my terms because there's still a, a distance between us, right? And, and this, might, this might feel kind of like weird, right? Like I know, I know the, like the, whole, the whole story of the Old Testament, and I know, I know in Jesus this, this, this tension, this divide still there, but, but this is just the first three days that they're, that they're at Mount Sinai. They're actually going to spend 11 months a third of the Old Testament's Pentateuch, the first five books, a third of it is spent at this mountain where God is going to lay out the boundaries, where God is going to say, this is what it looks like to live in my kingdom and to be my people. He spends 11 months. So this is just the first interaction. And in this first interaction, he's pointing out that he is holy and perfect and we are not. And so he's saying, stay back. And he's still in this moment. He's, remember, like, this is all framed out of don't forget the story, right? Like sometimes we, we want to push away from, like, what, why would God do that, right? Like, how could he possibly, like, threaten death? But, like, in the midst of this story, in this moment, he is the one who's redeemed them, he's saved them, he's brought them out to this place, and he's just setting a boundary, right? And so he, he comes and he, he, he makes himself known. Three days later, he appears. And this is, what, this is what we read. On Mount Sinai, uh, when, um, the, the Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet, to meet God. And they took this, uh, their stand at the foot of the mountain. 
And this is where the Lord appears. Listen to this. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain greatly trembled. So the, the Lord is descending, and the people are standing before this mount, and lightning is flashing, and there, there appears a great cloud, and the whole mountain is trembling. Can you imagine what it would be like to be, to be there, to stand in that presence, the presence of that? Um, it says, right after that, it says that um, as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered in, in him in the thunder. And I, I, I was thinking, I, I heard the sound of trumpets recently. Um, I, I'm not familiar with tornadoes, but just a couple weeks back, we had like the sirens go off in the entire region. Do you guys remember this? It was like two or three weeks ago. And I, from Houston, I was like, kind of clueless, like what's happening right now? But like that, that moment happened and then like the, the sirens were going off and then like everyone in the office like got up and went downstairs because a tornado could be coming like right now. So like I was just like sitting, like I was in the multi-site office and there's windows everywhere. And people were like, get out of the room, get out. Um, and I was like, what's the deal? And so I don't know tornadoes. Like, I don't know the like, imminent dangers here. But one thing that I do know is I know hurricanes, right? I'm from Houston, and so we're there next to the Gulf. And so I don't spend my summers looking off to the northeast. I look at, across the, the Atlantic and see what storms are brewing over there. And so in 2008, Hurricane Ike forms, and it's coming to Houston. It, it eventually crosses over all of Houston. And so my parents were all trying to figure out, like, are we going to leave? Are we going to stay? Well, we decided to stay. And when... Uh, you know, I'm kind of the guy that likes to test like limits and boundaries, right? Like, I don't know that it would have been a good thing for me to be at that mount, because I think I probably would have been like, well, let's see. And then like, I would have, Stephen's gone. <laughs> He's dead. Um, so that same kind of like part of me, and my parents love that about me, just so you guys know. They love that I like to test boundaries. Um, <laughs> it's not true. Um, well, Hurricane Ike's coming through, and I'm looking, it's, it's like 2 a.m., I'm watching the news, and I finally wait until, like, I, I know that the, the meteorologist says the wind, the storm is at its greatest might right now. So I, my mom was like, she, she was telling me I couldn't go, and I was like, I'm going to go. And so she's like, well, you're at least going to wake me up. So I woke my mom up. I woke my mom up. So she comes, and she opens the door. She's like, what are you going to do? I'm like, I'm going to run. I'm going to touch the, touch the street. I'm going to turn back around and run back. And so she's like, all right. So she, like, she goes and opens the door. And at this point, the wind is going, like, I, I should have looked up to see how fast the winds were, but the wind is howling. Like, the whole house is just a howl. Like, it's just this constant howl. And uh, it sounds like a trumpet. And so I decide to, to like, kind of get my speed about me. And so I run and jump. And the first, like, two steps, I'm like, hurricane. And then I passed, the, like, the threshold where the wind, like, the house stopped the windbreak. And my first step, I was just like, Phew. <laughs> I didn't try that either at other services, but that worked. Um, I was afraid. Um, but seriously, my whole body was lifted and shifted. And as I, I took the next couple steps, it didn't take long before I was doing this kind of thing and leaning kind of thing. Because by the time I got to the street, I, was, I had planned on going down the sidewalk that goes to the street. And now I'm on the driveway. And, and I now know what it's like for my whole body to be lifted and shifted and thrown what it's like to be in, in the presence of a mighty storm. And so I, I got back inside. My adrenaline was going, and my mom's like, you're crazy. And I'm just kind of pumped up, right? Because that's just like kind of who, part of who I am. But that was 15 seconds of this. When the, the Israelites are standing before this mountain, and it's longer than five, 15 seconds. They don't have a home to find shelter in. So they're standing before this mountain, and as the Lord descends on it, the fear of the Lord comes upon them. 
Can you imagine what it would be like to be there? Sometimes I like get into like this like idealistic thinking that I could I could be brave. And, you know, I would I would just stand there. But it's like no, <laughs> like no. You see, in, in, in Exodus twenty twenty, it says, uh, well, "Excuse me, Exodus twenty eighteen. Israel saw this, and their hearts sank, and their knees trembled from afar. And they knew that. And at this moment, they knew that the Lord isn't to be trifled with. Their hearts sank, and they trembled from afar. And in the presence of this storm, the Lord appears, and He speaks the Ten Commandments. He speaks them directly to the people." And if you're reading in Exodus 19 and 20, it's not abundantly clear that that's what happens here. But if you go to Deuteronomy 4, 5, and 6, you'll see that in this moment when the Lord descends, he speaks the Ten Commandments and he sets the boundaries for his people. And in this, the Lord proclaims these Ten Commandments. And I wonder what it's like to stand there and hear the Lord begin to say, Thou shalt not. And I wonder how long it takes before people realize oh no, I've broken that one. Oh no, I've broken that one. And before long, I think everyone there knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that they were lawbreakers, that they had sinned against the Lord. And as he's saying to them, this is what holiness and perfection looks like. This is who I am. They know there's a, there's a distinction and a separation between the God who is holy and me. And we know that too. And so he speaks this, and I love this. The people trembled, and Moses says, this is astounding, in 2020, he says, do not fear, for the Lord has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. See, even in God revealing himself, his motive is to teach and to train his people, that they would not sin. He hasn't come to destroy them or to kill them. He comes to instruct them, to train them. Even in this moment, when he shows up in his might and fury, his heart is that they would turn from their sin. And so what comes to your mind when you think of God? I think, I think it's worth asking. What comes to your mind when you think of God? Because is it, is it this God who shows up in might and fury, who shows up in awe-inspiring and powerful and mighty ways, and at the same time, he calls his people my beloved and my treasured. He, he somehow in this, in, in this same space, in the same moment as when he meets with his people, he shows up in the fullness of power and he says, and but I love you. You see, you see what I've done for you? Do you see what I brought you here? And he's laying out before, before them what it looks like to live in his kingdom, in his, in his ways. And so he, he etches his boundaries in stone for the people. And so we, we look at the, the story, right, that God revealing himself to his people. And, and there, there may be some tension, and I think it makes sense that there's tension for us, because we, we know a little bit more of the story. We know that this isn't it, right? In the next 11 months, God's going to lay out this, this, this system of what it looks like to be made holy and clean but nevertheless, in this, in this whole Old Testament, what we are presented with is that God can, can establish a way to be made holy and righteous in front of him, but we continually fail. We continually miss the mark, right? But I think it's important first to note that 
the Ten Commandments, this giving of the law, doesn't make sense outside of a relationship. It's in the story. He, he, he begins by entering in and inviting them into a relationship with him. He doesn't begin by saying, here's everything that you need to do. Hope you can do it. Good luck. But in his love, he shows up and he's teaching them. He's saying, this is what it looks like to be with me. And he's walking with them. He's, he's training them. He's raising them up. And it's not just a one-day thing, right? He doesn't give them one strike and see if you can do it. Right? This is a lifetime of walking with the Israelites, generations of walking with the Israelites, desiring to, 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 to bring a people together who would represent him, who would, who would be his ambassadors, his people that, that say this is what it looks like to be like God and to, to, to walk in his obedience, in obedience to him, to walk in his ways. What does it look like to, to live righteously? Well, look at, look at what, he's, he, what he's laid out for us. Right? And so the Ten Commandments make sense. God's instruction makes sense within a relationship. And then the second takeaway that I, I ask is, is are, are you following his ways? Are you obeying him? Because w- when we enter into a relationship with him, he, he doesn't call us into the same kind of freedom that Elsa spe- speaks of. He doesn't say, come, be free you know, I offer you forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And you know what? No right, no wrong, no rules for you. You're free. That's not what, that's what the Israelites are invited into. That's not what we're invited into. And sometimes I think we miss and forget that sinfulness calls for punishment. When, when, we, when we break God's law, sin results in the wages of sin is death, right? And sometimes we can just forget that. You know, we, 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 I don't know, some of you may not have been raised in the church, but I've been in, in the church since from the womb. And when I, when I have heard every single day, you know, Jesus loves you, he's forgiven you, sometimes I, I, I fail to really, like, wrestle with the gravity of my sin, of, like, when I break God's law, I'm actually deserving punishment and death. And it wasn't until I was, I think, 13, until I really understood, like, no, like, Stephen, when, when you sin, you deserve punishment. And that punishment is death. And that punishment didn't just go away into nothing. In fact, that punishment I deserve was put on Christ. And he paid that, that cost for me. He paid that cost for you. That when we believe in him, when we put our faith and trust in him, he extends to us forgiveness and mercy because he takes the punishment upon himself. And so when, when we ask ourselves, do, does this whole obedience thing really matter? Does God really care about this? I mean, it's like we're looking at Christ and we're saying, you know, what you did for us doesn't really matter. I'm going to do whatever I want. I mean, do we want to say that to our Savior for all that he's done for us? Like, do you want to, like, just look at him and say, no. I'm going to do my thing. I know that sometimes I can. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying that like I'm, sometimes I do that. Do you realize we do that? We, we look at Christ and, and, and say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my way, my will this time. But even, even still in our story, we're not stuck in that same place, right? Where, where well, I guess God's going to come p- kill me now, Right? 
No, like in Christ, in him, we have a, a means to be reconciled and restored. So we can go about the process of repentance and asking the Lord, please forgive me for the sins that I've committed against you and against your, your, your people. And then we turn to our brothers and sisters and we ask for forgiveness for the ways in which we've sinned against them. And then we go about the process of asking the Lord, help me be more like you. And in this place, Lord, would you help me would you help me be like you? Would you help me be obedient to you? Or would you, would you empower me with your spirit that I would be obedient? You see, even, in, even from this place, we still are in a place of continual need and trust in him, the one who enables and sustains our sanctification, our, our process of being made whole uh, and being made perfect as he is. And, and that, that process is slow. That process is not one and done. But the Lord is patient with us, that as we enter into a relationship with us, he continually takes us by our hand. He says, no, you're not as you should be, but I'll, I will walk with you. I will empower and sustain you, that, that, that you would be made more like me. This is his loving way of walking with us. God is so good to each and every one of us. It's all found in Jesus Christ that when we recognize our sinfulness and brokenness and we repent of our ways and place our faith and trust in him for paying the penalty that we deserve, that we're made right, he provides. You see, even Israel knew that they still couldn't bring about their deliverance. And that's also true for us. We look at our situation, and we know that only Jesus could do this. We don't get God's law, and he doesn't say, be perfect, and then I'll accept you. We can't. Only God could, and only God did. So as we walk in obedience to him, let us continually trust and obey and repent and turn back to him, because he's love, loving and patient and kind. We don't have a God who shows up and says, you better be good enough or I'm going to punish you. We have a God who shows up and says, let me take you by the hand and show you how to live, how to be with me. Let's pray. God, thank you for all that Christ has done for us. Lord, that we are saved through faith and it's not what we do, it's a gift from you. It's not a result of works that but Lord, it's from you. And so we just ask that you would help us and empower us to be obedient to you, having responded in faith. And so Lord, we ask that you would help us be made more Christ-like as we listen to you. In Jesus' name, amen.